You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. Hello, ghost family. Welcome to Family Ghosts. There's something that's always bothered me about cult stories. Whenever you hear one of these stories, there's always this beat where they try to explain why people joined the cult. And very often, that explanation gets oversimplified. It's usually something like, the members of this group were disenchanted spiritual seekers. And that explanation bothers me because there's rarely any attempt to explain what the people who join these groups are seeking. That word, seekers, it gets used as a catch-all for a wide range of emotional states that might lead someone to join a group like, oh, I don't know, the Love Family, just to pick one out of the blue. Now, obviously, I am particularly familiar with the Love Family because of the miniseries that we did about that group back in Season 2 here on Family Ghosts. And I will be the first to admit, working on that miniseries helped me understand why it's so hard to navigate this inevitable beat in a cult story. It's because everyone who joins a group like the Love Family does it for their very own, very specific reason. For that story alone, we talked to folks whose reasons ranged from personal curiosity about mysticism, to wanting to escape bad family situations, to wanting easy access to drugs. And the more of those conversations I had, I realized it would be a grave disservice to assume that any one person's situation could be used to explain the motivations of everyone else in that group, especially a group as complicated as the Love Family. But with all of that said, there was one reason for joining the Love Family that I heard over and over and over again in these interviews— to avoid being drafted and sent to fight in the Vietnam War. And while the folks who told me that that was their reason may have also been curious about mysticism or looking to score some free acid, the main thing was the practical benefit of ducking the selective service. It was pretty simple, actually. If you dropped out of society, changed your name, and moved to a commune in the woods, it was much harder for the military to track you down when your number came up in the draft lottery. And once I realized that, I started thinking about how much of the modern history of our country is defined by the war in Vietnam, and how little I really know about what actually happened there. Most of what I think I know, I've gleaned from movies like Apocalypse Now and The Deer Hunter, both of which may feature lots of great method acting and rich illustrations of the senseless destruction of young American lives, but neither of which provide much context or curiosity about the country where those lives were lost, the country for whose people the tragedy was orders of magnitude more severe. The U.S. uh, in, in real life lost the Vietnam War but continues to to win the the the, the soft war the, the in the in the telling of the Vietnam War the U.S. has made itself the victor in the sense that it is always the main character 
in that narrative. That's graphic novelist T. Bowie, whose 2017 memoir, The Best We Could Do, tells the story of her parents' life in Vietnam leading up to the war, as well as their eventual escape to the U.S. And a while back, T. sat down with one of our former producers, Jennifer Lai, to talk about the disconnect between the way the U.S. thinks about the war in Vietnam and the way families like T's experienced it. But even more interesting for our purposes here at Family Ghosts, Jennifer and T also discussed the delicate challenge of asking your parents to talk about the darkest moments of their lives and the even more delicate task of then turning those conversations into works of art. You know, even though I write about being terrified of my father growing up um, and being distant from him for a long time, we were a lot alike in the things that we like to talk about. Um, so he and I actually spent a lot of quality time working on this book together. From WALTFM and PRX, you're listening to Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman. And after the break, T. Bowie tells us why she believes it's important to keep the wounds of history raw. We'll be right back. Soon after that trip back to Vietnam, our first since we escaped in 1978, I began to record our family history, thinking that if I bridged the gap between the past and the present, I could fill the void between my parents and me, and that if I could see Vietnam as a real place and not a symbol of something lost, I would see my parents as real people and learn to love them better. That's author T. Bowie, reading me an excerpt from her 2017 graphic memoir, The Best We Could Do. The book documents her family's escape from South Vietnam in the 1970s and their struggle to adapt to life in the U.S. I asked them endless questions about their lives, the war, and the country that was once home. Ma, always the practical one, would rather we laughed more or went shopping together. But she humors me with stories and then asks... What should we do about dinner? I don't want to talk about dinner when there are so many important things we haven't said to each other. I suppose for my mother, I love you sticks in the throat. I remember one time I told my mom that I loved her and she just kind of said thank you. <laughs> but, <laughs> Awkward but she, much? <laughs> but she meant, you know, she meant I love you. You right. know, I, I think she was really touched. Yeah, yeah. She, she just, you know, doesn't receive it in that way. <laughs> T's work speaks to me so deeply, both as a writer and journalist working with family history, and also as an Asian American. I just felt like that was something that you had taken from my life, and I was so surprised to find it in someone else's book. It's like you don't say I love you in right. that way. Yeah, in um, fact, there's a there's a book, a, mem- a memoir by another Vietnamese American writer called "I Love Yous Are for White People." <laughs> Yeah, it kind of reminds me of this battle that I have within myself, like this Chinese side and this American side. Mm -hmm. Like the Western side of me thinks that way. Like I'm like, I don't want to talk about things like, you know, how much my rent is going up next month or, you know, did I see the sale at TJ Maxx Mm -hmm. when I don't even know what it was like to have me and what it was like to move here and not know anyone. My parents came to Canada from Hong Kong in the 1970s, so around the same time as T's family, but under completely different circumstances. 
My parents weren't refugees fleeing Vietnam, and they weren't evading war. But even though our family histories are totally different, T and I felt some of the same anxieties while we were growing up. I was always concerned about being the lame second generation, you know. I, and I think that this is a common、uh, feeling in children of immigrants or children of refugees or children of survivors of any great trauma. Is that you feel like the lesser generation, like something has gotten watered down, and you're basically just a big jerk.、Um, <laughs> What you're saying, I feel it, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah.、Um, <sighs> but for me,、uh, crossing the threshold into parenthood by having a really difficult labor,、um, and then a really difficult week following that labor—that was the only time in my life up, un- up until then that I had been asked by life to step up. And I realized that I could. And then I realized that if I had been in my parents' shoes, I. I think I might have stepped up as well. One of the most powerful things about T's book is how her introduction into motherhood changed her perspective on her parents' history. When she was pregnant with her son, she went back to Vietnam with her mother in order to do visual research for the novel. And being physically there, revisiting all the places where her parents had lived, and knowing her mother had left Vietnam while she was pregnant herself, made something inside of T start to shift. It made them a little bit more human to me. It made me realize that, oh, you know, we actually respond to our times. So our parents are not made of something different than we were.、Mm. Their times were different, and they called for different measures. So I think like that, that brought me closer to them.、Um, and so I had to, I had to honor the, the the difficult experience that I had had <laughs> that made me feel like, oh, you know, actually, I'm, I am. Something like my parents. It sounds like that was a realization that took a while. Like I don't know if you would have had that realization without giving birth to your I son. I don't know. Not probably not. And I and actually I think it helps me now、um, to not freak out、uh, sometimes at the news or you know these、mm-hmm. times because they are really tumultuous times all of a sudden.、Um, yeah. But I realize you know the world has ended. Many times over in different parts of the world, and people made it through. Right. T describes her book as a big story of international politics juxtaposed with a very personal family story. She told me she's always been troubled by the way the Vietnam War is presented in America. I really love、uh, Viet Thanh Nguyen because he he really articulates、uh, so many of these thoughts that I have, but、uh, in a、mm-hmm. much more clear way. He wrote in、uh, *Nothing Ever Dies*,、um, his nonfiction book, that the U.S.、Uh, in in real life lost the Vietnam War, but continues to to win the the the, the soft war. The, the in the in the telling of the Vietnam War, the U.S. has made itself the victor in the sense that it is always the main character in that narrative. So even though. Let's see. Let's see. Over fifty-five thousand Americans died in that war, and over three million Vietnamese <sighs> died in that war. But in the stories that you hear, you don't even get to know any of the names or the stories of the Vietnamese people. It's usually、mm-hmm. always a, an American soldier, and that does something to how people understand what that war was meant to people. You know, it was a very The problem is so egregious that, like, my my goal was really quite simple. It was just to replace the stereotypes of the 
Vietnamese bar girl and the, you know, the gook who didn't really speak Vietnamese or any actual language mm -hmm. who just got shot yeah. uh, with, you know, real life people, real life people who were actual people and, um, you know, did all the things that a human being does. So it wasn't enough that they showed up and that they were getting published in a book, um, yeah. but that they, they, bro they broke stereotypes and, um, you know, came across as fully formed characters um, who you could identify with even if you weren't from that background. Coming up, it's one thing to have the impulse to paint more realistic portraits of misrepresented people, but another thing entirely to fill your palette with the necessary paint, to do the brave work of actually capturing their stories. After the break, T tells Jennifer how she found the courage to finally ask the questions that felt unaskable for so long. Where did you guys do the interviews? Like, how did you bring up, <laughs> really you know, the subjects? Places. Yeah, um, I, was, I was living pretty far away from everybody at the time, so it was just during, um, you know, holiday visits and things. So I remember, in particular, there was one Christmas where we were gathered at my sister's house in Palm Springs, and uh, she had just, uh, she had built a pool, a little pool in her yard, and the water was filling up for the very first time from a hose which takes forever <laughs> so my sister and me were sitting in the bottom of the pool talking while we were watching the water fill up <laughs> um and it was an interesting you know it's, it's a really interesting place to put yourself in like just like a, almost a, a nowhere place right and it's a great place to um think about another place in time um yeah and being in the desert was was a far away from anything that we knew or had anything to do with our, our family history it was an interesting place to interview my father about his life. Um, definitely added to the feeling of displacement. Yeah. So when you were talking to your family, you know, were there questions that you kind of felt afraid to ask them or subjects you knew were touchy? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's sort of the art of war that you have to employ to you know, get people to open up about certain things. Um, so I would use multiple interviews to get at a touchy subject. You know, I would just, I would just listen for the most part and ask, you know, follow up questions. But if it, if it got to something hard, I didn't, I, my goal was never to like make anybody cry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I would just, you know, leave it lightly there and, and revisit it later with, um, more questions when I thought of good ones. Sometimes when I feel like I get my mom started on something, she'll be really reluctant. And then after a while, she'll just be telling me like all these things. And mm -hmm. like, it's interesting because sometimes I feel like she's more open to talking to strangers about things. Like a lot of times when I've heard yeah. crazy stories, it's like her telling like a new boyfriend that I've brought home or like my younger sister's friend. And it's like my sister and I have never heard these stories before, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. this is the way that she chooses to tell them. She seems to be more open around people that she doesn't know well. That's something to pick up on. My my mother was the same way. She, she gave a much better interview to my husband in English 
So that that's how I got her stories was I sat in the back seat of the car while she talked to my husband and I just hit record on my on my uh, recorder. Over various reporting trips this season, I found that it was somehow easier for a lot of people to open up to me, a complete stranger with headphones, recorder, and mic in hand, than it was for them to have that same conversation face-to-face with their very own family. Sometimes talking to someone who doesn't know you or your story can be liberating. Of course, when it comes to your own family, sometimes you just have to start small, with a memory, a tiny detail, and that can trigger the rest. For me, it, it helped to um, give myself some time to get closer to them and um, ask them more empathetic questions. So, for example, mm-hmm. like I find it really hard when somebody asks me, like, you know, what was your greatest trauma or something like from outside of me? Because like, that's not really how I think about my life. Yeah. It's how somebody else would describe my life. So when they ask me questions from their frame of reference, it's really hard for me to answer because mm. I don't know what they want from me. Um, So I learned over time to ask uh, my family how they experienced things, like was it hot or cold, what did they Mm. wear, how did they feel, Um, were they hungry, how long long did something last, Um, and I found it was a lot easier for them to come up with ready answers when I asked about their lived experience rather than like, rather than asking them to analyze their experience for me. Right. Because the big questions are really hard. Not only are they hard to ask, they're really hard to answer. Mm -hmm. I can just imagine if I were to ever ask my mom, like, you know, what was like the hardest part of coming here and like being far away from everyone that she knew? She was going to have to sift through all of her memories (laughs) and then decide. And she'll just probably randomly pick something that she thinks you want to hear. Yeah. She's Mm -hmm. just like, I don't know what you mean by that. Like, I don't know what you want. Mm hmm. And it's funny because it's like sometimes you people think that those are the most specific questions, like you're allowing them to pick whatever they want. But people can't really rank their experiences in that way Mm-mm. sometimes. No, that's your job as the storyteller. You listen to all of these things and then you find the story and you, you give it back to them and then they respond to it. So the, the process of actually drawing rough drafts of the chapters was really important because then I would show my parents before I even showed my editor. And oftentimes they would remember more or they would, would correct something. My, I mean, my initial impulse was that I would give them veto power if they didn't feel comfortable with anything. But it actually turned out to be a really rich and collaborative process um, where they would appreciate like having their memories put down on paper and then given back to them in a more orderly fashion than they remembered it themselves. Sometimes I feel like there's like this anxiety that I have of with being a child of immigrants. Like I want to tell my family's story, but I'm also feeling this pressure of like doing it justice, mm-hmm. you know, and it's hard because I'm like, in some ways, I feel like my family's history and their memories are just out of reach. And like, if only I could access it somehow, I would feel more whole or mm-hmm. more complete And it's also like a big task to like be responsible for other people's memories, Mm -hmm. you know, tell memories that are not just your own or like try to talk about something that happened like way before you were born. Like how, like how did you deal with that? I I had a lot of anxiety um, when I was a grad student. 
because uh, my thesis advisor kept quoting Edward Said to me and saying, some uh-huh. <laughs> should say, like, every form of representation is violent. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> you know? Um, Maybe you I mean, don't like, I can that. deconstruct <laughs> the violence in other people's representation of Vietnamese uh, people, but, like, um, how am I going to do any better? Yeah. Right? And, and the thought of doing further violence to my own family and loved ones um, after they've already experienced so much so violence. Much. Yeah, that was a lot of pressure. Um, and it was uh, at times paralyzing. And I think um, it took a, a really crazy event, like giving birth, um, to, uh, I guess, push me over the threshold and um, make me realize that, you know, you just have to do it. Like, you have to get the baby out one way or another. <laughs> More of producer Jennifer Lai's conversation with graphic novelist T. Bowie after the break. Welcome back to this week's bonus episode of Family Ghosts. Let's return to producer Jennifer Lai in conversation with T. Bowie. They're discussing T.'s 2017 graphic memoir, the best we could do. One of the most remarkable things about T's book is the way it came to be. So I have a very academic thesis project that I did uh, around, you know, representation. But um, as far as collecting the material into something that I could share with a wider public and not just an an academic one, um, I always wanted to do it as a comic or a graphic novel. But um, I don't have a background in comics. So I had to, um, I had to learn it on my own. And I wasn't going to go back and do a second master's, so um, it took a while. (laughs) That is so amazing that you were like, you know what, I want to do like a graphic novel or like an illustrated memoir, but I don't have any experience in comics. (laughs) So like, I mean, did you start from just like a blank page and like a pen or did you? Well, I I did major in art in undergraduate, so I knew how to draw and I've always written since I was a kid, um, even though the irony is that I, I did so well in English uh, as, a, as, a, as a younger student that I tested out of all of my English requirements, so I never took a writing uh-huh. class again. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I read a lot and I, and, I, and I wrote a lot, so I figured, kind of arrogantly looking back on it, that I figured I could teach myself how to do comics. But um, comics are a really hard medium. It turns out, like, it's, you know, they're so fun and easy to read, but really hard to make. So... 10, 12 years later, I am totally humbled and um, in awe of the medium. Um, and, I, and I like to tell people that cartoonists are like the floor tile layers of, of artists and storytellers. Like if they do their job well, you just walk right over it and you don't notice all of the work. But if they don't do something well, you trip up and you notice. Looking at the book, you'd never know that T learned to do comics on her own or that she was completely new to the medium when she started over a decade ago. The day I got T's memoir, I started reading it immediately when I got home, and I stayed up all night. I was lost in both the gorgeous art and the narrative that felt so personal and so deeply lived. Thinking back on that night now, I know why I couldn't put it down. Sometimes a complicated story needs more than just words. I wondered if T herself felt like she'd done what she set out to, to bridge the gap between the past and present. Yeah, I think that it worked with with my dad and um, my mom. 
is a woman, and, and, and I'm a woman, and it's much more complicated. Yeah. But I think, yeah, in a lot of ways, it, it, it did. I'm, you know, we know so much more. I know so much more than I did before. I think I suppose I was hoping for more reciprocity mm. in terms of understanding. Um, and maybe that's just another, that's another process. I feel like in some ways it's kind of like a Western way of thinking, like wanting to know this big story. I don't know if that's something that you ever thought about or whether or not that resonates with you, but I've always kind of felt at odds with like my Chinese self and my American self. Like I feel like I look at things in a very Western way sometimes, mm. but, I, but I'm like living in this kind of hyphenated world <laughs> with my mom where... Yeah. Her experiences growing up are pretty different because she operates with her parents differently. But like me growing up here, watching TV and like seeing my white friends with their moms say I love you, you know, being dropped off for school was like no biggie. But they knew their parents' story. They knew where their parents worked and how they got to be and how they came to be. But it always just seemed more complicated when it came to me. It is more complicated. I don't know that it fits neatly into a binary of Western versus Eastern. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, um, I think my father also had a hard time talking about practical daily things. So, mm. um, you know, even though I write about being terrified of my father growing up um, and being distant from him for a long time, actually we're a lot alike in the things that we like to talk about. Um, Mm. so he and I actually spent a lot of quality time working on this book together. Um, I kind of miss that actually. (laughs) And he's, he's actually snuck a couple of I love you's in, uh, since the book. So I feel like, I don't know, he and I have maybe come out on the other side, uh, pretty good. Whereas my mother and I still butt heads. I mean, hopefully we've got a little time to work to figure it out. But like in the meantime, I made them a book. So, hey, um, if that's not love, what is? (laughs) I don't know what that could be. I hope they see it. (laughs) One of the things that fascinates me most about T's work is that it's both an artistic document and a personal one. She's taken her life and her family's lives and turned them into a story in hopes that it'll have an effect on people. But how has that process affected her? You know, going around and you're doing this book tour and you're talking about your book, but it's not just a book. It's also like your family's experience. Is it tiring to be doing that all the time? Like, do you feel like the process of doing this has been like emotionally challenging or do you feel like you've become numb to it? I have a really hard time um gaming the system you know because I'm, I'm just so uh, earnest and <laughs> it's so it's actually something I'm trying to hang on to so I think it would behoove me to become a little bit more hardened and you know seasoned at, at interviews but the thing is that um, I actually like to have a real conversation I don't like to have prepared statements um, yeah. even though that's the advice that's been given to me um, and so it is, it is emotionally exhausting, um, when I've been on tour for a while because I'm actually trying to have a genuine conversation with each person. Yeah. Um, and then in the work, I think that it needs to be honest. And so, uh, my goal is always to strip away language that has been overused in the news 
and to try to um, not hide from the news, but actually like really go deep, deeply into the into the subject matter, and try to find new language, new forms of expression to keep fighting against the you know that cynicism that can grow on your heart when you're reading about things that are really painful. We harden ourselves through language, um, the word refugee, the word detainee, the word immigrant, even the word family, the phrase family separation, which like actually elicits a lot of response in people now, I guarantee you in six months, it's going to become a catchphrase. So I think the work of artists and writers is to constantly push against that that um, tendency in people to keep reinventing language so that um, we keep the wounds raw as they should be um, so that we can actually do something. That was producer Jennifer Lai with author T. Bowie. Find T's graphic memoir, The Best We Could Do, wherever books are sold. Family Ghosts is hosted, produced, edited, and mixed by me, Sam Dingman. This episode was produced in collaboration with Jennifer Lai. These days, among other things, Jennifer is the producer of the beautiful poetry podcast, The Slowdown, which I'll post a link to in our show notes. And I will also post a link to The Best We Could Do, the graphic memoir by our guest, T. Bowie. Our show art is by Teddy Blanks, and our theme song is by Luis Guerra. If you appreciate the work we do here at Family Ghosts, please consider becoming a member of the Kindred Spirits, our community of supporters on Patreon. For just $5 a month, Kindred Spirits hear our episodes ad-free, and they get exclusive bonus episodes you won't hear anywhere else. This week, Kindred Spirits will hear a discussion with the renowned Road to Shambhala panel of distinguished experts on the subject of exaggerating one's credentials for personal gain. A timeless topic, I think you will agree. But in addition to these perks, the work we do at Family Ghosts simply wouldn't be possible without the support of the kindred spirits. So if you have the means, please consider joining them today at patreon.com slash familyghosts. And if you don't have the means, no worries. Thank you for listening. And please consider supporting the show for free by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. It will take 30 seconds of your life, and it will make a huge difference in the life of our show. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Family Ghosts, where every house is haunted. I'll talk to you then.